Hi, and welcome to the sixth episode of our podcast, Queer and Divine, Conversations with Spirit and Pride. I'm one of your hosts, Lily, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Today we have guest Lauren Memory. Lauren is a writer, comic, and director from South Carolina, and she's been out of the closet for two and a half years. She's also writing a pilot about representation in the punk community. Lauren, welcome. Hi, Lily. It's great to be here. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a senior at Elon. I'm a drama theater studies major, and for a fun fact, I have no appendix. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm glad to know which body parts you're missing. Always fun. <laughs> so, you know, the point of Queer and Divine is to bring uh, stories about uh, queer folk and their experiences with religion, whether they be good, bad, etc. Um, you grew up in a religious background. Can you tell me a little bit about what that was like? So my family, is, they're all military. And um, that just meant that we were going to move around a lot. And oddly enough, despite all of my family members being from up north, we always got stationed to different southern states. So I've been in New Mexico, Texas, but I spent most of my time in South Carolina. South Carolina is very... Bible Belt, Baptist. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was, I'd say, fine. When I was very young, doing the military, like, after-school youth program stuff at the church, mm -hmm. and I just, I really liked that church. It was, like, I think a UCC church. Very open, very, like, hands-on, very, um... They break things down for the kids in a way that's like, here, we're giving you lessons that are going to be beneficial to you at this age, but we're not trying to, like, fear-monger, we're not trying to instill anything scary and damaging for later on. Then we get to South Carolina, and... Oh, no! <laughs> that's, that's when things changed. <laughs> okay, so when you say, you know, we get to South Carolina, I'm from North Carolina, so you and I are buddies in that kind of understanding mm -hmm. of religion, um, how did that shift? Well, the first thing was my parents enrolled us into a Christian private school, actually two of them, for all of middle school. So it was like, um, it was just weird going from um, Texas, which was every Wednesday night we would have youth group, to suddenly every single day for classes, we had two separate mandatory prayer sessions. We had chapel on Thursdays. We had to do daily devotions and also like mandatory Bible classes. So suddenly it was a lot of information all at once, but the teachers and the other students just always had this vibe about them of, I've been doing this since I was literally born. I know the Bible front to back. I can do boom on the spot, like trivia stuff. And just like, I know exactly where Matthew is in the Bible. And <laughs> I did not, and neither did my very goth sibling at the time, and they could just kind of get this uh, sense about us that we were A, behind on Christian knowledge, and B, just like how we were developing and like really solidifying our identities. They did not like that, and they fully, Megan got bullied by, they were putting Bible quotes in Megan's locker that saying, like, you're going to hell and you're damned, and it was just, Megan was in the eighth grade, the eighth grade for other students to be inflicting that on other people who are just developing and trying to figure things out and like that's just it and i know for a fact that that has stuck with megan and obviously that stuck with me it, it, they didn't bully me directly but i still had to watch the effects of that bullying on my sibling yeah 
and you know to go from a religious background religious sense where God is a loving person and mm -hmm. you know religion is used to lift others up mm -hmm. to a place where God is vengeful and God is hateful and you should fear God and that fearful God kind of idea mm -hmm. and um, I can't even imagine especially you know within Christian schools the idea that someone who claims the Christian title is using hate to bring down other people yep. so growing up kind of like in the Bible Belt in a Christian school I remember being, I had sex ed in 6th and 7th grade, and like the real sex ed, not like 3rd grade where they're like, hello, things you should know. And I remember it was very pointed at women. And, you know, biblical, Christian schools like that often do the same thing. What was your experience? Oh, Nellie. <laughs> Which is just like a great uh, sum up of how the experience was. So first thing I actually noticed from what you just said is all of my um, sex ed education stuff, those were all bumped years later. So our first, like, your bodies are changing talk, that wasn't until fifth grade. And then we didn't really touch on actual, like, sexual health until eighth grade. And it was only, like, a three-week course. And they really, exactly the same thing. They obviously touched on STDs. Um, but then the day that we split, I knew that the boys were learning about the actual, like, mechanics of having sex. And the girls, we had a talk with our vice principal of the middle school. And she came in and she gave us the full spiel of, like, you want your husband on your wedding night to open up the pretty gift. So you don't want to, like, sully yourself or have your ribbon be kind of in a mess or your wrapping paper ripped. So make sure that you preserve your body. Wink, wink, wink don't lose your virginity so then your husband doesn't have a sullied person on their wedding night so have you heard of the rose one i have not heard of the rose one okay so the way that they describe it to young women is that you are a rose right oh and um you know if you give parts of yourself away your petals will fall off and who wants to be with a stem oh mm -hmm. <laughs> And it's that same just kind of idea, and men are never told that. I don't think men are ever told, wait until marriage, ever in their lives. Yep. Especially in this context. Well, I remember they also were telling us about, you don't want to mess around, and like in high school or anything, because men will talk about you, and they called it locker room talk, and so it's like, we're not just threatening you to like, a man is going to be disappointed, if you aren't perfect on your wedding night also we're gonna threaten you with if you do anything and take control of your body in any way at this age nope you're about to get shamed by a whole group of guys yeah I just kind of you're growing up in a Christian school is so interesting mm -hmm. to me because I have kind of preconceived notions myself but one of the things that I remember from the school that's in town here um, that my parents were considering enrolling me in when I was in kindergarten uh, they have you sign something that says that you do not condone homosexuality. Oh. How did your school go about that? Golly, I remember, so this is just another can of worms, but my school was very, very white and very much um, kept that it was white. So that only just goes to tell you what they were like and their stances of the sexual and gender spectrum. Yeah, mm. nothing. And exactly, everybody would look at how me and Megan were dressed or just how we acted, and they could tell something was different. And especially with Megan, who was much more, like, open about their identity at the time than I was, 
it was very difficult for Megan just to even make friends, just to even get through the school day. Megan hated, 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 hated that school. And so we obviously had to transfer as soon as we were both starting high school. Yeah. And you say they, that's they, them pronouns, correct? Yes. Uh, did they use those in high school? Absolutely school? not. No. Okay. I didn't think so. Yeah. That's so hard. It's so hard when there's a part of your identity that even though you're able to physically express it through your dress and attire, mm-hmm. you know, if your identity is not being respected, there's just this, like, hurt that goes with that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we talk about in Spirit and Pride is religious trauma. And it's very clear from the things you're telling me that Megan experienced some of that. But I really want to hear more, like, your side of this. You know, what was it like for you to be in this environment? Yes, your sister is in pain clearly you want to be there for her but how did that take a toll on you so I think that I got by a little easier because I kept that in mind of you have to play the game while you're here or you are going to maybe not experience consequences but you're going to not experience the full spectrum of what is allotted to the good Christian kids And so I would try so, so hard. I would go to every single youth group. I tried every single church, every kind of sermon. And I even chose to be baptized like right before my junior year. And it was just constantly this flux of things are going right. I feel like I'm doing a good job being a good Christian girl. And then suddenly it just wouldn't click the right way that I needed. And then I would drop out and I would totally quit. And everybody would just kind of notice of like, oh, you're, you're like a Bible group hopping a lot. And I'm like, no, weird. I don't really fit in the other eight. So maybe the ninth (laughs) one's going to work out for me. Uh, yeah. I remember youth group fondly. And I think that's because, you know, my youth group was run by a lesbian woman. And so I, I had like a role model from the start of Mm -hmm. what it looked like for me to be gay and Christian. Um, not at the time, but because I was 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, having representation in my life that way and positive experiences, I think, made it easier for me to then come out. Mm-hmm. And I think for so many Christian-raised kids who come out as queer, there's this not only I'm scared for the world, but I'm scared for, like, my faith almost. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you come out and how? Oh, golly. I came out... Um the spring of my first year at Elon because oddly enough, like even though after we transferred to that public high school and things got better, it wasn't like Christianity wasn't so um, forced upon us at that point, but it was still around obviously. And I still try to engage with it. But what I noticed now that I'm like, I can look back on my time in high school is you really also didn't see any kind of representation there either. Obviously, there would be, like, the one token gay kid, and you saw their experience, but I came out as bisexual spring here Mm -hmm. because that was the first time I was ever truly exposed to the term as something that was real. Because, I like, thinking back on it, I would go on Tumblr, and I would, like, educate myself on just, like, you know, like, here's terminology, here's different ways of life that are real, that exist, But because of just South Carolina, you don't see that in real life. You only read about it online. Then I get an Elon, and that was the first time that I actually saw things in real life. And I saw representation, and I saw the LGBTQIA plus community in action. 
in my face, and it was awesome. <laughs> it finally wasn't, like, hushed, shushed away, and put in a different place away from everybody else. And in high school, too, like, I asked out, essentially, I asked out a girl to prom every single year. Every single year, except for, I really think, one year. <laughs> but even still, my promposal, it had to be played off as a joke because the parents were uncomfortable, and they even pulled me aside and we're like, don't do that on the front lawn. So, mm. and that's also happened after I came out here. I've had another friend. I've asked a friend to formal, purely platonic, and her mother told her no because it was inappropriate. She told her no in college? Yes. Like, she was she was in college, yep. away from home, 18. Yes. Wow. Yeah. How did she even find out? She told me because she's the best, and she was like, I can't go to formal with you because my mother told me exactly this, and <laughs> I really hate that, and I'm so sorry, and we, like, had a conversation about it, and I don't know, like, it's just, it sucks that it's still uh, impacting things that are miles and miles away from them, you know? No, absolutely, and especially because, you know, I feel like people often talk about direct you know, attack discrimination, you know, thinking to Elon, the trucks to drive through here mm -hmm. and yell slurs at people, you know, directly in your face, homophobic, racist, etc. Yeah. But I feel like people often undermine the microaggressions that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, oh, you shouldn't hang out with that person. Why? Oh, we just, we just don't like their lifestyle. It's yep. not yelling, it's not hurtful, hateful, but it's, it's deeply rooted in distrust. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, from what you're telling me about kind of how you grew up and then coming out and coming here and just being like, oh, oh, hell yeah. Like, this is this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. You know, like, Tumblr research has prepared me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I feel like that's so common of, you know, queer youth. Like, you look up things, you're like, oh, could this, like that, and you, like, mm -hmm. don't know. And then college, out of college, wherever you end up figuring the out that, like, you are loved and welcome to yeah. some extent. Um, one quick question for you. Do you still identify as a Christian today? Um, see, I always do that little hesitation thing anytime anybody asks me. I would plainly say no with a question mark. I don't know. It's like, okay, my thoughts on Christianity and religion is I know firsthand that there are beautiful aspects of feeling spiritual and feeling connected to your universe. Totally, I'm so for that. Then my qualms is when people weaponize it to hinder other people's lives. So I think if they're gonna pick and choose and I can't stop the, like, the hateful bigots who are going to listen to Love Thy Neighbor and completely disregard it, then I think that I have the same right to pick and choose what I want that's gonna fulfill me and satiate my spirituality how I need. So I can listen to the lessons of love and that's fine with me. That's okay. I can listen to a worship song and I can participate and I can feel the ghost move through me and that's fine. And I don't expect myself anymore to uphold um, kind of like a, a deal of you have to do so much work to be able to call yourself Christian. I'm not doing that game anymore. I've done that game for golly, I don't even know how many years, probably like seven years maybe even eight and I just I want to focus on what I need out of the universe and I want to put good in I want to take good out and yeah so I'm not gonna participate in a mass constructed thing 
that isn't serving me how I wish it would. Yeah, and I think you can be religious and spiritual without belonging to a church, without, yep. you know, believing in that kind of institution. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that you bring that up because so often I think it's like, a, well, do you go to church? You know, you don't have to go to church to be religious, yeah. to be spiritual. Exactly. Um, you know, you talked about coming out first as bisexual, but currently identifying as pansexual. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that transition and also define pansexual for people listening today. So, okay, how I define pansexual is, how I define pansexual is any kind of love or attraction to multiple genders, because I still think, like, people try to redefine bisexuality with that definition, but the stem itself literally is two, and I just don't believe that there are two genders. So I'm really trying, and I've been, like, holding the thought of just transitioning from term to term for, like, a couple of years now. Yeah, a couple of years, I'll say it. And I just, I feel like, um... It, it's more representative to the actual denotation of both terms to just say, yes, I'm pansexual. That, yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> I thought a lot about this. <laughs> it's my identity. I might have given it a thought or two. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. So one of the questions that I'm always so interested in with people who, you know, do end up figuring out their identity as a different term um, is did you have any friends question that kind of yeah um give you backlash per se that sounds too strong but you know the whole like are you sure kind of thing like why did you ever have any of that with any people in your life um i feel like i was that person in my life (laughs) doing that to myself you said i caused this i fully several 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 times if not more than several times i've sat myself down and been like and I know you're not supposed to be like, are you being bisexual enough? But I do, because I see my life, and I'm like, huh. Something doesn't quite add up to the identity label that I put my on my body years ago. So <laughs> I definitely feel like, I don't know, I am the one that questions my authenticity of this identity. But then I just think afterwards of like, yeah, but how did I get to this place of questioning myself? Oh, right. It's those years of seeing like the LGBTQ community being pushed away and silenced and cleaned up. And you don't want that kind of, um, you don't want to keep that mentality, Mm -hmm. but you do. And it's, it's something that I'm still trying to unwork. It's driven in deep. Absolutely. Even like, and it wasn't like um, I was taking any workshops on how to be homophobic. It's just those little subtle things that really hook deep into you. Yeah. I mean, we are a heteronormative society to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, connects to a lot of things. But I always, I I see the little thing when, um, you know, parents are like, oh, my kids aren't ready to learn about like, you know, homosexuals. Yep. But they'll tell a two-year-old. Is that your girlfriend? Is that your boyfriend? Yep. They're already putting that label on them before Mm -hmm. they're given a chance to know otherwise. Mm Mm-hmm. It's no fun. (laughs) It's no fun. I always laugh because my mom, when we were little, I had such a, you know, easy time coming out to my family because they're aggressively accepting. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I remember so clearly my mom would tell my brother and I, you know, do you have any girlfriends or boyfriends? Boyfriends or girlfriends? You would always add it, even when mm. we were little. And my brother once, oh, I'd say he's 10 or 11, uh, my mom kind of said that, and he just goes, do you want me to be gay? Like, not, not he was like, I'm, 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 I'm straight to what I know, but is that something that you're hoping for? No. But she got her gay kid a few years later, so. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One and done. Um, so this is where I'll just kind of give you, if there's any fun stories you want to tell with religion, with your sexuality, etc., um, I know that you ended up going to Chicago for a semester. Ugh. And I know that definitely has an impact on the kind of person you are today. Absolutely, like, it does. talking to you before <laughs> you went and then came back, you had this new air of confidence in the work because you mm-hmm. realized that you are good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I would say, like, is there anything about that trip that was impactful for you as a person? Everything about that trip was impactful, and that's all I'll say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren is out. <laughs> I'm done. Um, yes, that com- that uh, trip definitely instilled in me confidence that I did not realize I desperately needed. Mm-hmm. I can just remember so perfectly, end of my sophomore year, I was spiraling mentally. I remember crying on my dorm floor to an acquaintance in my improv club for like 27 minutes and he did not ask That's for that. That's a specific number too. Oh, it was that long. I, I have it framed on my wall. Just, mm-hmm. just And then I get there and then I realize how much joy there is to be had when you're finally, finally in the place that is correct for you. And you feel right and you feel validated and you feel pushed in the way that you want to be pushed. And everything just started to click into place. Finally, I was out of the South. Finally, I was with the left-wingers. Finally, I was with the comedians and the silly people who really just wanted to put in the work and not make getting a laugh like a side hobby or just like, yeah, I'm funny sometimes. They really were interested in it. And I could really just talk about the comedy studies program at the Second City for the (laughs) rest of my life. Because I owe it my life, truly and honestly. Yeah. And I, I that's so great because I feel like, you know, queer people often don't have, yes, we find a community within people who share our sexuality, but finding community with your sexuality in a different area. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm on the soccer team. And I was so worried, like, you know, a lot of Elon kind of girls, it's not, they're not homophobic, but they're just like, oh. And they were like, that's so cool, dude, whatever. And... That's not an LGBTQI plus circle, mm-hmm. but it's an activity where I, as a gay person, feel accepted and loved, and that is, like, the best thing ever. That's awesome. So we've talked a little bit about kind of, like, going to church, organized religion in general, um, you know, but we're both on Elon's campus, and I think you and I have both had quite positive experiences with the Elon church. Um, are there any, you know, things you'd like to share about them? I absolutely loved my time with the Elon Christ Community Church because Pastor Randy is just really, really caring in an honest and truthful way. The lessons that they would preach there were truly about equality, truly about loving yourself, loving your neighbor, serving your community. And I really, really just like loved and finally appreciated a sermon that was tailored to my needs religiously. And I eventually decided to stop going there and just stop being a part of the community. But I very much respect and love and admire my time with them. They were awesome. 
incredible. Positive religious experiences are like, yes, we love them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like um, queer people often within the community, in a little awkward, not great segue, um, are kind of put on a pedestal, you know, off, like in the same way that minorities are asked to speak on their whole, you know, community. Like, a, you know, what does the black community think? And they're like, I am one black person. Mm-hmm. Queer people are often asked to speak on the experience of all queer people. But we get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, and, and there's times where we mess up. We, we use the wrong pronouns. We define a term incorrectly. Um, I myself have had moments where I was like, that was biphobic. I said something biphobic. And we have to, like, recognize them and move forward and be better. I know you have an instance like this, and it is kind of a hard one to talk about because it's something that no queer person, straight person of caring good faith, wants to do to someone else. Right. So uh, I was hesitant to tell my coming out story earlier because it ended up being a, a, in the long run, positive experience, but in the moment, very, very bad, very, very quick. And that was all because of my wrongdoing. What I did was, at the time, I wrote an article just kind of detailing the different women in my life that kind of made me realize where I was with my sexuality and I definitely I left all names out I tried to code it as what I thought was very clever and no it was not so when I finally posted it and I was like all right this is my coming out I was so blinded by everybody's reactions to me doing the thing and actually taking the step that I did not realize that all of my friends back in South Carolina and all of their friends and all of their family members and all of their parents read my article and then easily decoded who specifically I was talking about. And one person in particular, I ended up outing them and it was truly one of the greatest things I regret in my entire life because the fear that I instilled in this person was... Like, I, I, I still don't forgive myself for that because I was really, truly blinded by how are they going to react to me that I didn't think of, oh God, what did I inflict for them to now react on her? And it was, oh, I hate it. And we, we made up, it took many months afterwards of me giving her space because obviously I made her life extremely difficult. And so she needed to cut me off for, I really think, about a year. And eventually we were able to talk through it and then just kind of continue past it. And obviously things are great for her now and things are great for me. But I will never, ever just get over that little hump of, I should have known better. I should have had my eyes open. But it's still, it's such a scary action to do it's easier to go about it with your eyes closed that's a really good way to say it because you're right it is and you know ignorance is bliss i think is really key here where you know you had tunnel vision Mm -hmm. you had this kind of like one goal that you were focusing on and it was you know coming out as such a personal and you know difficult experience for most people um i don't say most for a lot of people and you know when you inadvertently accidentally end up outing someone in the process i can't even imagine but i'm glad that you made up Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that you have 
you take it so seriously. It's very easy to be like, oh yeah, well we, you know, I forgave her, but the fact that you consider, you still think about that, and you let that be a driving force in how you interact with other, you know, closeted people. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for that last story. I mean, I think it was very vulnerable of you to share that, and that is probably something that's hard for you to talk about often, and especially, you know, to a large group of people. Um, that is sadly all the time we have today. But I want to thank you, Lauren, for coming on the podcast, you know, literally bearing your soul, your deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets for us. For strangers, anytime. <laughs> thank you, Lauren, for that one. Um, as always, thank you for taking the time and space to listen in with us. Y'all can find us on Instagram at Elon Spirit and Pride. I'm your host, Lily. This has been Queer and Divine Conversations with Spirit and Pride.